0: hello everyone welcome to everything is gay even the straight stuff uh it is pride month it is june we made it it's officially halfway through the year or whatever (laughs) june is for straight people uh i'm john mcdonald uh one of your favorite pop culture connoisseurs um and i'm here again with my lovely co-host magnus who we are celebrating this month um because it is their birth month and they are definitely worth celebrating
1: always oh, such a gentleman. And...
0: I try, but thank you, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, I'm sure June has some more things to be celebrated than just my, the happenstance of my creation. So I say.
0: mean, there, there's Pride Month, but I'm a big advocate mm. for Pride Month celebrations that um, aren't brought to you by alcohol companies, because there are a lot of queer people that are in... Uh, recovery programs and so i have kind of a love-hate relationship with the idea of pride month and consumerism and capitalism because the original Mm. pride quite famously and stonewall and right before that at randy's donuts was a legitimate riot uh Mm. so It's one of those things. Um, But we're going to celebrate you this month. Um, I'm kind of excited Mm. about this premise and to see where we go. So this Mm. was your idea, and uh, I'd love for you to be able to explain it to everyone, kind of what we're going to talk about today.
1: Mm. So I thought to start things off for this month, um, rather than focusing on a particular film or book or such, that The theme for this episode of our podcast should look be looking at the men of marvel looking at the leading men that we've seen in various marvel films be it from the mcu um to fox's iterations of marvel films um sony's take as well and so forth and just have a look at these leading men, see the impact that these roles have had on themselves, the public, and dare I say, gay artistry. Yes. (laughs) And Uh, generally sort of what they bring and how it's sort of shifted over time.
0: uh, So here's something interesting too that I kind of want to uh, talk about because we are going Hmm. to, I'm going to spoil this because this is kind of my addition to the idea, is that... Next episode, we'll talk about DC. Mm. Uh, And something interesting DC does that Marvel hasn't done historically, and I have the list of all Marvel films from 1986's Howard the Duck to the present. Mm. 1986, obviously, Disney didn't own Marvel, and Marvel didn't have a superhero market in 1986. Uh, So there are some things I want to talk about, but when we think about Marvel, the reason we're going to be talking about Men and queering men is because there aren't a lot of female queer characters even in Marvel comics, and there certainly aren't really the only openly gay female Marvel character, or probably pansexual, I'm not actually sure how she describes herself, but uh, the only one that I can particularly think of is Mystique. And the Mystique in the movies, played by Jennifer Lawrence and Rebecca Romaine, really only. Was played as a straight character, and so hmm. we've never we've never seen Destiny in the Marvel movies, and if she's oh. going to be in a future one, I don't know. But there's not really a canonical female presence, so uh, except for maybe allusions to Elektra or Halle Berry's Catwoman, uh, which Catwoman is obviously a DC. So when we do DC month, there'll be a bit more because we'll talk about uh, Suicide Squad and Harley Quinn a little bit, and we'll talk about Catwoman who is a fabulous queer icon for both lesbians and gay men. But for Marvel MCU, there really is, when we think about the superheroes, even focuses on Black Widow seem to focus on the men in Black Widow's life more than Black Mm. Widow. So like for us, it's not just a phallic thing, it's also what has been offered by the studio itself and the point of view they have. Uh, For better or for worse, and that could be its own talking point one day, but just to mm-hmm. give people... Like, we're not excluding the lesbians. We just really don't have any lesbians to talk about that I can think of. Even if mm-hmm. Jubilee is bisexual, I don't think they've ever come across that. I I, I guess maybe potentially rogue, um, but mm. even <laughs> in the X-Men, bisexuality is more of a male-dominated field in a way. So, yeah.
1: Yes. Um. <clears throat> within for the M we're in MCU for representation. Um Valkyrie is canonically bisexual. Um I'm not sure they really they don't really demonstrate that.
0: They actually cut the scene to... where she had a girlfriend mm. in the Thor movie yeah. where they were like, she's our big bisexual woman character and then they like cut her girlfriend completely out of it yeah. or something.
1: There's um there is lesbian representation within Marvel Comics per per se. But If I remember correctly, not many of them, if any, have really come across to the MCU as of yet. And certainly we haven't really seen it as an issue for the other Marvel movies from the other studios that were done. Um, I mean, gay representation in general has been rather poor, um, but that's not stopped people from imagine their own representation shall yeah, we
0: say. E- even in the gay Marvel porn that m- I think Men.com <laughs> did because I remember this is mm. before we all hated Colby Keller. Uh, he played Wolverine in that. I don't think that any of the female X-Men represented mm. all in that porn. Even when they did the Gay Justice League for Men.com yeah, like Manila Luzon played Wonder Woman which was hilarious. Um, but <laughs> we're going to talk about Marvel so Unless you have an objection to this, what I'd like to do is just kind of go through from the start in 1986 and talk Mm. a little bit about kind of the Mm. moments and the characters that read more queer or uh, took a place of queer honor later. Uh, Because Mm. we do have some moments uh, before what I'm calling the second coming in 2011. Which is where it all starts to get a little wild with Captain America, X-Men First Class, and Thor. Which is where I really think it really starts. But there are some things before that that are quite popular that we can talk about.
1: I quite agree. And I think I might know at least a few of those moments you're speaking of. Certainly from a personal perspective.
0: Well, (laughs) it's also interesting because I have some where... I'm curious as to why this never picked up. So I'm thinking about Tobey Maguire and James Franco as Spider-Man and Harry Osborn. Kind of the perfect fatal attraction, best friend to lovers trope, but it never caught on. I never saw any fanfiction or art pairing of them, even though there was kind of a fatal love yeah. love triangle thing. So what we got with Wolverine, Jean Grey, and Cyclops later on, we don't get with Toby Spider-Man. And mm. Franco Harry Osborne. And so I'm curious about yeah. that if if you if you came across that, or if you feel like you
1: know. so is that the initial is that initial point you want to touch upon? Um uh, my
0: first point would was... be that Stephen Dorff as uh, Deacon mm-hmm. Frost and Blade was super hunky. And I love that Randy Beeks keeps bringing him back. Uh, but I, I feel kind of alone on the hunky Deacon Frost island, because Stephen Dorf hasn't done anything in a while, so I feel like people kind of forget that Blade is, is a Marvel movie, and it was actually mm. one of the first ones, so.
1: I think the success of Blade actually set started to set the floor for Marvel movies as almost like their own subgenre of cinema. Um Because before that, they'd had some quite a number of failed attempts. They'd had some success with animated series and what have you. Some of which became quite iconic in their own right. But Blade, I think, was the first Marvel character that really took off. And this was before Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire.
0: It was two years before Spider-Man, the first Blade Mm. movie. But they did market it more as a vampire movie. When I saw it in Mm. 98... I knew that Spawn was kind of a DC creation, but if you had told me Blade was a Marvel vampire anti-hero, I would Mm -hmm. have not been prepared for that because they didn't craft it as a super movie, and I think that's part of why Blade worked. Um, Mm -hmm. The side characters in Blade are great. What's interesting is what Randy Meeks does is he creates this kind of relationship between Deacon Frost and Blade, which totally doesn't exist in the movie anywhere. Um, but mm. I was such a big fan of uh Deacon Frost, uh Steven Dorf's version of Deacon Frost, that like I can totally see where Randy's coming from. And I definitely appreciated Blade. Uh not quite as a sexual awakening movie, but I actually think Blade is probably one of the Marvel sleeper hits from before Marvel was a big box office studio thing mm.
1: yeah yes no I can I can definitely agree with you with that and it is to the point where um, Blade has actually been mentioned in recent times of being revisited at some point being brought back into the fold as it were um, but I wonder whether they're going to incorporate the Blade movies in some way as one of the New Marvel alternative universe iterations.
0: I mean, if they can make Kelsey Grammer into the Beast, they can make anyone. So here's the thing famously, Wesley Snipes didn't actually enjoy being Blade. So they could recast it and they could probably cast someone that actually would like enjoy their job. Um, I will say Mm -hmm. by the time we get to Blade Trinity, where we get uh, Ryan Reynolds in his like early beefcake phase. that's gonna yes. be. That's a good time, right there. <clears throat> that's a good time for everybody. Uh, we have quite a bit of a gap between them. Um, I will say, after Blade, uh, unless you have anything else to say about Blade,
1: I was about to comment about Ryan Reynolds being in Blade Free, because I think that that might that might be something that people forget that act before he was Deadpool and uh, <laughs> his stint as Green Lantern. He what a decade or so ago he did do another superhero outing
0: uh he also was in wolverine origins which we can yes. talk about a little bit uh mm. where he played weapon x or x23 i'm never really sure which character he was supposed to be in that movie but it was definitely his pre Deadpool. one thing i like about ryan reynolds and blade trinity is he had gone right from his kind of van wilder party boy frat wave phrase And he had gotten really jacked for the Amityville remake that he was in. And then he went right from the Amityville remake to Blade Trinity. And so all those like jacked Ryan Reynolds with like facial hair and all sweaty (laughs) at night wearing pajama bottoms. Those are all like horror films. And he wasn't quite Deadpool yet. He hadn't embraced going back to comedy as a hunk actor. Um, Mm Because he'd always been kind of cute, but like off-putting if you weren't into frat boys like like a jeremy piven you could actually be around rather than like a really funny actor so yeah that would blade Mm -hmm. trinity in 2004
1: ryan's energy has always been slightly unconventional Uh, i've i think for a while he tried to fit a sort of mold to be like a traditional hollywood leading man but i believe from what i could see from his choice of roles and what he said previously in the past over time he started allowing himself to be himself and to embrace his little quirky his little quirks and nature like i think he tried to do it with um his role as howell Jordan and green lantern um more of the hollywood leading man trope but then he was like "Ah, uh, never mind this i'm i love deadpool i'm going to embrace deadpool and make him the psycho that he was always meant to be that I failed in the first time.
0: Uh, I will say he did meet his wife on Green Lantern. So as much as I hate Green Lantern, it did bring him and Blake Lively together. So I mm. have to give props for that. I like Ryan Reynolds as an actor. Um, mm. I haven't really seen anyone do this that does fan art. But Ryan Reynolds has this thing on screen where he does kind of everything, not with innocence, but there's sort of this like twinkle in his eye where it always feels like he's mm. in on the joke. There's a very yes. smart comedic timing to what he does that reminds me a little bit of like Jerry Lewis or Danny Kaye where it's physical but it's definitely more internalized mm. um, and so I, it's interesting because when I see fan art of him more of it is done where it's more sketched I don't see a lot of cartoon work for, for Ryan Reynolds either as Deadpool or in Blade Trinity um, it, it, it's an interesting thing of how people depict these characters Um, Mm -hmm. which is also why it's interesting to me because also in 2004 we get Spider-Man 2 we get Harry Osborn taking the mantle of Green Goblin um, or Hobgoblin whichever Goblin he was because there's like 14 (laughs) of them now. It's like the Green Lantern Corps in in the MCU Um, so Harry Osborn takes over Green Goblin and Mm. his Green Goblin is this mechanized, over-muscle-bound, very, <laughs> like, metallic Power Ranger-type suit. Again, yeah. the level of fan art for these two, either in shipping or it just for Harry Osborn is his, like, angsty haunted itself, you don't see it. And it's kind of an interesting thing in that, is it just mm. before people were really doing it? Is it just a I, forgotten thing? Like, it's it just something I think I, about. I,
1: i do wonder about that so in terms of like the um whole tension between toby's spidey and um that iteration of uh the goblin as you say um i have seen some examples of fan art of it but certainly not to the extent of that you have nowadays yeah um i do wonder so what day what year did this come out again
0: so, uh, Spider-Man 2, where Harry Osborn takes over the mantle, yes. is in 2004.
1: So, so I know we had the internet back then and such, but... I Believe it or wonder... not,
0: dinosaurs carried the internet in 2004. We we were done with Geocities, <laughs> but we weren't quite where everything was monetized yet. There still was some mm. free stuff hanging around.
1: I I wonder whether so, there was some fan shipping and some fan art and such done of the pair however it could be as you say that this was a period where it as a concept hadn't quite taken off um and what was done might have been buried within the archives of deviant art somewhere or one of the message boards that we had back in the day um and it just didn't get like the it didn't get the notice that it does now because of the fact that it's very easy for Um, fan artists and their followers to get this out there to everyone through like social media and such because I mean back then like there was I don't even know if Instagram was really a thing then Facebook was very much in its infancy
0: yeah well you had like a live journal live journal communities Mm. were fairly big at the time um deviantart was pretty big we didn't really have housing sites for photos like Mm. imgur but like fanfiction.net um was up and running in 2004 i want to i feel like but it wasn't really Mm. it wasn't really big or if it was big it just wasn't kind of the thing that i was around yet uh but that was back when the internet was still very much it still had the feeling of an open playground. Things were quite monetized yet. 2004 is also an interesting thing. And my favorite, uh, Punisher, uh, mm. had a film come out in 2004. I absolutely adored Thomas Jane as the Punisher. I know people really like... Um, I can never remember his name. I can see him in my head, but oh. Lord, if I can remember his name.
1: I um, I can't he has... white myself, either.
0: Yeah, but but you know who I'm talking about. Like, you can visualize the new MCU Punisher.
1: Um, yes. Oh, whatever his name is. <laughs> I know
0: it's gonna bug it's gonna it's gonna bug me. Uh, but Thomas Jane's Punisher also comes out in 2004, so this is like the first year we have three Marvel movies in one year. This Punisher is funny, a little absurd. I kind of had a love affair with Thomas Jane in the 2000s, and I think The Punisher was a big version of that. There's Mm. a torture scene in The Punisher where the guy can't see what The Punisher is doing, and he's like mimicked using all these tools, but he really has these like popsicles, and he's like fake torturing him with popsicles, so we'll give up information. And that's it, it's very clever and funny, but there's also something, uh, Thomas Jane as the Punisher also had those kind of Ryan Reynolds Bambi eyes. Mm -hmm. And so like when I think of Punisher films, I want to sit through and watch again. I think of this one with um, John Travolta as the -the over-the-top villain, but mostly for me, Thomas Jane was a more human Punisher uh, because Punisher comics had a Punisher, uh, but that Punisher always kind of seemed a little too RoboCop and a little too inhuman Thomas Jane was a anti-hero where you could actually get into it and see yourself mm. doing it. Uh, and the humor mm. that offset the like tragedy behind Frank Castle's life. Tom- Thomas Jane did a fabulous yeah. job in that for me. So,
1: mm. so yes, so there was that. Um, and there was actually a huge amount of other movies based on Marvel properties out around this time of the period of 2003 2004 and like actually a couple years prior etc and something that i wanted to bring up actually as a point and this actually might explain why um fan shipping and fans are and generally like fans like imaginations of these characters Might not have been so prevalent in these different films um, at the time. A lot of these films that were coming out were standalones or sequels, very much to the characters within the films, rather than an interconnected series of films. Um, So, for example, two thousand three, you had Ben Affleck's version of Daredevil yeah um you had in 2000 the very first hulk film starring eric banner as the hulk
0: uh that was in 2003 is what i have is that the Hulk version from 2003 i'm double checking to see which one so
1: oh no it was 2003
0: yeah so yeah this is this is the uh ang lee one which is like the famous movie that he did after Brokeback oh. Mountain. So this is mm. the Aang Lee Hulk list from 2003. This is the first time, because Hulk had been a presence on TV in the Marvel Universe for a long time. But yeah, yeah. this is the Eric Bana Hulk in
1: 2003. Mm. Uh, sorry, I got slightly, my dates mixed up. It was the first X-Men movie by Sony that and fox oh was it certainly and fox or just fox so
0: this is 2000 this is by 20th century fox uh this is the brian singer x-men universe before the kind of first class universe uh Mm. yeah the 2000 x-men i'd argue in the first in the 2010s uh 2000 to 2010 i'd argue the x-men series is probably the most popular the brian singer x-men movies are probably the most popular marvel property up until iron man i'd argue Mm.
1: yes Um, and as i was trying to touch on before like a lot of these projects were either um standalones or they were strictly kept within like almost their own series and such and we don't see like the the shift towards a a multiverse kind of thing Until, like, the MCU came out. And the MCU really did, like, make that a trend, which we started seeing with (laughs) everyone else trying to replicate the formula, shall we say.
0: Well, and I think people (laughs) need to recall this kind of interconnected MCU, Star Wars, everything had a sequel thing, was still not a thing people were doing. I mean, Disney built a brand on doing it. But... Mm -hmm superhero movies were still a relatively new phenomenon we didn't get a new one every six months it was you know a decade between howard the duck and blade and those were very much outlier projects and blade wasn't even marketed as a superhero movie um i think for me what intrigues me is that when people do fan art of Marvel especially X-Men they always go back to the Brian Singer X-Men they go back yes. to Hugh Jackman at the first time is Hugh Jackman as Logan before he was super jacked and they go back to that younger Bobby Drake um yes. and they go back to James Marsden by the way James Marsden in Jury Duty playing like the weird Hollywood version of himself um complete departure from from Scott Summers but if you love Scott Summers Mm. like this is james martinston for some reason got scott summers i'm kind of glad he didn't play i I think he actually the reason he wasn't in x3 very much is because he did get to play superman but for me he's kind of a quintessential slightly uptight but could go dark scott summers um yes and i think the gene wolverine uh Scott love triangle that they didn't resolve for a long time. James Marsden and Hugh Jackman really work as those two characters.
1: Agreed, and they're a good they're a good example of leading men that fit their their role so well, and actually remained within the public consciousness after the films are gone. Like. Yeah. I brought up Ben Affleck before as um Daredevil. Um there was also Nicolas Cage as Ghost Rider from 2007. Yeah. I think people remember them in those roles but they just it was just something it, it's almost like a fact. Yeah. It's not an interest.
0: I think if people went back and watched the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie I think they mm-hmm. would enjoy it now that we've had more exposure to Daredevil. I don't think people got Daredevil the first time they saw because he does have a Batman persona, and with the knowledge that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are kind of a spoof mm-hmm. of Daredevil yeah. kind of helps. Um, yes. What's interesting for me, too, if you compare Daredevil that has the same kind of dark tone, the same kind of vinyl leather feel, X-Men is something people really loved. To the point where you did see a lot of fan fiction—not fan art, but in my case, fan fiction of um, mm. um, Logan and Bobby, especially Bobby Drake himself, both in the comics and in these films, especially had not come out yet, and so mm. this is definitely whole cloth created fan fiction. Um, mm. It's very—it was very unusual at that point in time until X three when Jean Grey had quote unquote died, or was coming back. Uh, Until we got to X3, you didn't see a lot of Wolverine, Cyclops stuff, but that heartbreak element, that again, we didn't get in Spider-Man, that heartbreak element inspired a lot of art that I saw for Wolverine and Scott. And it's just one of the things where I can't figure out what the difference was, except Mm. for that they fought over a girl and (laughs) harry and toby were just kind of good friends you know they weren't they weren't Mm. fighting over mary Jane.
1: yes Mm, it is tricky and some it's interesting to see what moments stick in people's minds or what moments sort of don't um
0: I know As what moment it... you're thinking of. I I know what you're alluding to. Or you're alluding to one of two things. And I think I know which one is the one you're <laughs> alluding to. Ooh,
1: let's play a game. I'm going to allow you to see if you can uh, <laughs> guess what I'm talking about before I even mention it.
0: So there are two that I think you're possibly to. I'm going to take a stretch because I'm talking about Bobby and Logan. That you are alluding to the infamously now gift that comes around once every two or three years. Scene of Bobby Drake using queer-coded language to make Logan's long neck beer cold again in a way that he did not need to. Mm. Uh, it didn't. It, I I would imagine it would probably break the internet if they did it now. Also, I can't imagine Marvel doing it now. And I have to wonder how much of that was improv. What's interesting is that this is coded subtext that you don't see in a lot of Marvel yeah. movies, but also it took the queer community a long time to, at least where I was from, it took them a long time to figure that out. Uh, yeah, and and then yeah. it kind of took hold and it set it set the imagination aflame, uh, yes. and that was at I always think it's in X Men, so- but it's actually the opening of X Two is mm. where that scene is from, uh, yes. which is. Part of the two thousand and three trilogy of uh, Marvel movies that were out in two thousand three,
1: mm. yeah. So it wasn't actually that moment I was thinking of. Okay, <laughs> the moment that's fine. I was thinking of is not X Men at all. Um, we're going back onto something else. There was a movie out in two thousand and five. Yes, that's another Marvel property. Uh, yes, does that ring any bells?
0: It does. And here's an interesting thing. I'm pretty sure you're talking about Johnny Storm, Chris Evans in his first turn in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep.
1: So that... here's, yeah. Go. Cool. Oh, no, that, go for it. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, um, as a teenager, um, seeing Chris Evans waddling around in the buff, in that t- clutching a pink Parker around his midriff whilst he was happily flicking his fingers and showing how much of a flamer he was was pretty a uh, very much an informative experience of my um, gay cinema viewing to the point where i took my ex-boyfriend specifically to the because we were good friends at the time i took him specifically to cinema didn't tell him what to expect and his eyes popped out of his skull the moment uh, chris was walking around like that so yes. good times uh, what's interesting
0: is that there there have been several times when uh, Chris Evans was comfortably and scantily clad on scene, quite famously in Not Another Teen movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but after Fantastic Four, uh, both of them, he also did things like Scott Pilgrim and The Losers. And The Losers, of course, um, has that scene where he's like stripping in the elevator and singing Journey but so he's always been fairly comfortable with both his body and with um doing Hmm. superhero things uh something interesting about this is that because we're going to talk about 2011's captain america uh because obviously captain america set a new standard in shipping and everything else Uh, Mm um people really like chris evans johnny storm i will admit i had a hard time seeing him playing someone more straight-laced after seeing it so what's interesting is i really love 2005's fantastic four i specifically mm. love ian Groffold and johnny storm from here as a pairing as sort of like antagonistic lovers but reed richards mm. is one of those characters and this is not the only time ian Groffold and chris evans worked together they also worked uh together on playing it cool much later where they have even more chemistry um this is actually uh, so the first Fantastic Four movie is actually a callback in a way, if we think about fandom to mall rats from 95. Uh, so in Mall rats in 95, uh, these guys that hang out at the mall, uh, they get to meet Stanley because he has a cameo in this movie and they ask him about the male genitalia of like the thing and Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> and Stanley is like, they should maybe go see someone for their obsession. But like... Mall Rats <laughs> to Fantastic Four is sort of this line about the obsession with what's under the superhero costume. In Fantastic Four they do like more scatological humor with Michael Chiklis, um talking a little bit about how uh, about how um, the thing like poops. But like mm. there's also this weird interesting thing where we start to see these more revealing costumes for male superheroes. Here's where we start to see more of that traditional Lycra, um, more Mm -hmm. bulges barely being hidden by dance belts. Uh, But it's one of those things where I feel like this is really where superhero movies come into their stride. And I feel like this is where Chris Evans really does come into his stride as as an actor like he and ian Groffold are going opposite directions because ian Groffold has had this amazing career at this point and it's after yeah. this that we start to see less ian and more chris um and of course michael chiklis was on the shield for years i never sh- i don't never really see much fan art from michael chiklis as the thing i don't actually see much thing fan art as compared to Hulk fan art which i also find very interesting
1: i do see occasional stuff um with the thing, but I agree with you that it's very minuscule compared to um, other characters. I'm not sure why that is. Um, hmm.
0: It's interesting because Reed Richards as Mr. Fantastic is like both very smart and very stretchy, so yes. I, I've, I've made some allusions to that in some of the queer art I've made, but generally speaking... It feels like it's almost a bit of a taboo to not mention that. Like the only context I've ever seen for a vaguely queer Reed Richards had to do with essentially his wife and with like having people watch him do stuff to his wife. I've never actually seen queer art of Mr. Fantastic with anyone.
1: I've seen a little bit of queer. I have seen a little bit um fasto did do a um mr fantastic x johnny storm art piece um where john where um reed did use his stretchy powers a bit um and blitz and blitz turner did do a johnny storm and the thing fan art a while back um but no the fantastic four generally beyond what chris evans did with the portrayal, portrayal of johnny and then as you say that a little bit of simmering tension between reed and johnny and then also reed and um victor yeah um there's um victor and reed seemed like like they would be perfect shipping um fodder but i suppose yeah i wonder whether doom and the thing because they're not They portray quite inhuman elements like the thing is very rocky very craggy Um, doom is very aloof and like almost like the doom bots that he controls like they're a bit detached whereas the the hulk has always because it's always been very angry very beastal. it has a lot of like feral energy and i think that does appeal to some people so that might be why there's that contrast there
0: I I will say, uh, for the Fantastic Four 2005, which I implore people to go back and watch that movie as well, Mm. um, because I think that's kind of a lost um, Marvel gem, the aging up of Johnny Storm, because Johnny Storm in the comics for a long time was like a preteen brother Mm. to Sue Storm. Um, So it was actually pretty controversial to cast Chris Evans in the first place. Uh, The simmering tension you feel between um, Victor Von Doom and everybody else in the cast is because julian mcmahon had had was either halfway through filming or had just finished filming nip tuck so he was still kind of in that kind of super sexy headspace that his character portrayed yeah. for like however many years um yeah. and so <laughs> julian, i think julian mcmahon was a really adequate victor von doom victor von doom is hard to play because you can go so over the top you lose complete connection but I can mm. see that. Um, so we have 2005's Fantastic Four, uh, which I think is actually really good. I feel really bad for liking it, if only because Jessica Alba had such a hard time on the mm. set. Uh, something interesting I find in this earlier version of MCU especially is that you really don't see the sexualization of the female cast members. The only sexualized female cast members of this earlier up into the point where we get to 2008, 2011, is Rebecca Romaine as Mystique, but she was in control of that sexualization the whole time. In interviews where she talks about uh, basically being painted in blue paint for Mystique, she's always very in control of that. But like a traditionally sexualized character like Storm, um, even Jean Grey... Uh, you don't Even in 2005's Electra, which is kind of a spin-off slash sequel to Daredevil, but not really, mm. you don't even yeah. really see um, that version of Electra sexualized. Uh, mm. The Ghost Rider, Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider, his girlfriend is not even in a skimpy outfit. She's just there to be a damsel in distress. Uh, Mary Jane mm. is never sexualized. By the time we get to Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, Jessica Alba especially we're hearing from about Mm. all the problems she had on set uh this isn't really um a well-loved well-anticipated movie I don't think anybody that saw Rise of the Silver Surfer really liked it that much and I liked the idea but I didn't like it uh but then in 2008 when it looks Mm. like everything is going to go downhill we do get the Edward Norton, Incredible Hawk, we get Punisher Warzone, both of which are incredibly yeah. disliked. But we also get Iron Man in 2008. And this Iron Man uh, and The Incredible Hawk are the first two films by Marvel Studios starting to reclaim their properties. Um, yeah. I've never liked Iron Man. I will be uh, completely transparent about it. Um, Iron Man pairings do not do anything for me. I think he's a fine character, but he's not for me. Uh, but I don't think anyone knew in 2008. Uh, maybe you had some inklings, but in 2008, when Iron Man came out, it didn't seem like it was going to reset an entire like group of movies, an entire genre. Um, hmm. <laughs> how was how was how was Iron Man for you? How was how was Iron Man in your kind of superhero pantheon?
1: I enjoyed it. I thought the story was conventional. Um, I could see where the narrative was going. However, I enjoyed um, Robert Downey Jr.'s characterization of Tony Stark. Um, he was by turn—he was by turns cocky, swaggering, but certainly with a great deal of flaws and vulnerability underneath everything um and i think the point of him seeking to be a bit better than what he had been in the past well a lot better than what he had previously been um that really did capture people's um attention and while well, the portrayal of um Downey as tony certainly did um i certainly didn't imagine it <laughs> being the spark to start things off but yeah. so he, i feel that iron man has always had very much a sort of to use some slang terminology some very straight masculine bro energy to it there's a good reason why um it got really well liked publicly um like you know the swaggering suit of armor um not taking like the, the, uh, the going GIF, out and doing thing. So,
0: he yeah, had the GIF, the GIF with his arms outstretched and everything exploding behind him. That became yeah. a very popular reaction gif for a while.
1: Yeah. So it kind of led from it kind of led from there. Um, what was the next one after Iron Man? I forget. It was So
0: this was uh I, I've always loved Edward Norton. I, I will fully admit to my Edward Norton crush his version of the Incredible Hulk is not well liked. And I think the reason it's not well liked is because it gets compared to Kevin Bacon and Stir of Echoes, where he plays mm. a very invisible man type. Uh, the Incredible Hulk uh, with Edward Norton feels more like a science heavy movie in a not great way. It it mm. doesn't embrace superhero in the way it traditionally does, I don't think. So, the interesting thing is that in 2010 and uh, from 2010 backwards, people didn't really get that invested in super movies. The best thing about the okay. first Spider-Man movie for instance for my generation when it came out wasn't that Toby was playing Spider-Man, it wasn't the villainy, it was it had a really cool soundtrack and that's what mm. we tended to gravitate toward. So like when I think about X-Men Origins being like the final so X-Men Origins Wolverine in 2009 a lot of people saw it, but not a lot of people liked it um however Mm -hmm. i find it remarkable not because it almost stopped the mcu deadness tracks but because x-men origins wolverine is the first time we start to sexualize the actors that play the male characters and it Mm. does reset the tone it starts to be how we're going to sexualize uh chris hemsworth chris evans chris pratt into some extent mark ruffalo how we're going to sexualize michael fastbender and um James McAvoy when they start doing the X-Men prequels mm. uh, so, so so X-Men Origins Wolverine is a turning point for the MCU good and bad in my mind
1: mm. oh yes because um, so it, I'll touch on one point I just thought of now yeah. um, but you mentioned about McAvoy and Fassbender. Um at this point when they went into um, the next X-Men trilogy you do notice that there's a subtle difference within Xavier and Magneto's friendship. yeah. The, compared to like the previous iteration um, with McKellen and Stewart's versions, there's much more a subtle emphasis on fan shipping within the new version. And that was the reason why, if you go on, you could see there's a lot of fan shipping. Of this magneto and this xavier um so my point that i thought of before that i was gonna was gonna po- post you was do you think at this point as they're bringing out the new ge- this new generation of leading men that were headlining these n- new mcu movies that they were starting to bring out do you think the studio had actually taken notice and was actively trying to sort of get on this trend
0: i think a lot of studio work fetishizes the old mgm studio system of the 1940s where they Mm. had a lot of control over the image they decided who did what big breakout stars like betty davis suffered for years because she didn't fit the mold they needed to her and she was only Mm. successful really outside of that Mm. i think for me looking at how they treated Hugh Jackman in Origins Wolverine and basically threw him to the wolves um, Mm -hmm. while still overly sexualizing an actor that basically morphed their body from a traditional body into this like almost inhuman wolf character Um, if you look at Chris Hemsworth in the first Thor movie he is unrecognizable like when I look at pictures of like Chris Hemsworth now from people thirsting over his uh new workout video thing (laughs) that first thor movie he does not look anything like what he looks like now how they've done his makeup is completely different how they highlight different areas of his face um even the exposure of his body in like thor love and thunder is so different from the voyeurism scene in the fitting room changing room when he's getting the jeans in thor one uh, mm. Natalie Portman does a lot of great work in the Thor trilogy, and her as Jane fulfilling Jane's comic book arc with cancer is so heartbreaking and satisfying at the same time. Uh, and I have a lot to say about the Thor series because I think it's interesting, uh, but that is going to be for another time. So we don't get. Mm. Um, but so so here in 2010 we get to Iron Man 2 where we start to see. Uh, also, here's an interesting point. So before before we get into this, because I have something to say about Robert Downey Jr. that I find interesting. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to do about what I'm calling Marvel Movie 2.1, uh, which is kind of all this from 1986 as Howard the Duck up until Punisher Warzone, I'll say. So is there anything mm. else you want to say about this kind of first part of the MCU before we start talking about the second coming, as I call it?
1: um not particularly no i'm happy to go straight into the meat of the session
0: okay uh so robert downey jr was an unofficial member of the brat pack in the 80s Mm. uh so do you know what the brat pack is
1: i do yeah
0: okay yeah so he was he and tom cruise were both not in the brat pack but were part of the brat pack like when people thought of it they were kind of accessory brat pack members so, Robert Downey Jr. Had, had this really interesting, slightly erotic, late teen sort of uh, character that he played. And I see this every now and then on Tumblr, especially when people discover the queer character he played in Wonder Boys, where he and Tobe McGuire mm. slept together um, mm. with Michael Douglas as kind of the narrator character. Uh, the book is very yes. different from the film. Um, but he also played kind of this hypersexualized Teen character in Weird Science as well. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the audiences that loved Robert Dyne Jr. in Iron Man 2, as he was really starting to connect with Pepper Potts, as he was really coming into his own, as people weren't so astonished that he wasn't acting again. Because he took a long break between the two, and there were a lot of drugs and a lot of jail time. Um <laughs> there's just something really interesting about bringing robert downey jr back into a sexualized frame as a daddy because you don't see that a lot it's it's a really new phenomenon i think about the same way uh like zach efron has that same thing happen but it doesn't always work uh like when i think about the male cast members of all that when i think about say keenan thompson who did sketch comedy as a kid and then came back to it as Mm -hmm. an adult that kind of What they did to Robert Jones Jr., where they took him from heartbeat, uh, heartthrob, heartbeat guy to kind of cleaned up rehab, Iron Man daddy. It's a really interesting thing that is so incredibly new. And it Mm. does kick off. So, X Men's Origins Wolverine, we start to get Hugh Jackman super objectified in this like steroided, tanked out body. He didn't take steroids, but it definitely is superhuman. But this is also the first MCU movie where we start getting those backstage clips of him wearing that dance belt in the scene where he comes up out of the water nude with all the, like, wires on him. Mm -hmm. That's x Men's Origins Wolverine. This is part of that movie's canon, part of the press release for it. This is, like, a more overt sexualization. There's a queer sexualization subtext to Wolverine in the earlier x-men movies but it's effortless and it's not reported on here no. he's objectified and whether you like it or not it's a big part of the movie's marketing was how hmm. often on talk shows he was asked about this scene and they would show him dripping coming out of the water wearing nothing but a tan skin colored bikini um hmm. and about how the women were, like, taking pictures of him like they did to Jai Courtney in Suicide Squad. And it's, like, (laughs) people are weird and prudish, and they don't want the queer, like, they don't bring North Star in, they don't bring Forge in, who have more of this queerness to them, to the X-Men universe. But Hugh Jackman, for some reason, it works for some reason. It starts to work with Robert Johnny Jr. by the time we get to Iron Man 2. And we get that scene specifically of Gwyneth Paltrow's hand literally inserting and penetrating into his body to restart his heart or put in his, like, burp blue glow cube thing, and there is this symbolism that is both sexualization, but there's also this fascination in American media with how prudish can we be, and yet how much can we sensationalize, and you really start to see this turn as we come into this, like, second version of MCU with how they're using actors as well as characters as product and you don't see that with Chris Hemsworth Mm -hmm. at first but by the time we get to Thor the Dark World by the time we get to the Avengers movie season the way that they framed him has completely changed to put him Mm. on par with everyone else he was already on par but if you look at the facials the facial shape the muscle tone the face itself how they even did the makeup around the eyes where they put his hairline There's a yesification of Chris Hemsworth that happens (laughs) to him as Thor that we don't see because his movie succeeded.
1: Hmm. Indeed. And then that all led to what you mentioned earlier was perhaps the movie that really started it all off, which was um, Captain America, the first Avenger, back in 2011.
0: Here's my question for you. Because, yes, yeah. Chris Evans, like, people really got off on Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Like, we all got yeah. off to that. There is nobody that didn't get off to that. Like, straight guys were having game moral panic over this. My question mm-hmm. is, is, was it actually Captain America The First Adventures that made it happen? Or was it Dark Bucky and the Winter Soldier that really made this happen? Because there's only three years between those two movies. So the yes. question is, does Chris Evans oh. as Steve Rogers maintain the sexiness? Do people still love it as much? Or do we need Dark Bucky to keep that going? Like, is, is Steve Bucky stronger than Steve by
1: himself? Mm. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. Um, the thing is that when people look at captain america the first avenger like that scene of of um steve post transformation like you know completely shirtless within the machine um sweating coming out of it um panting he's basically
0: having an orgasm coming out of a cocoon it's basically it's a butterfly thing really essentially
1: yeah very much like almost like transformation into sort of a a classical grecian like um concept of what like you know traditional man is when for
0: for a long time in marvel comics he was a greek god he was the greek god of courage like Mm. for for there was there was a whole thing about him joining the pantheon because there was no one else they could think of to be the greek god of courage Mm. um yeah so it makes sense So,
1: so the thing is like him doing that, and then him breaking into that run to um, race after that agent, um, straight after that. Like, there was a huge amount of virality and vitality that was being encapsulated within Steve as a character. And that set the groundwork. Um, you did have hints of his relationship with B- Bucky at the time, and like the, the loss of Bucky during the movie that really impacted Steve and such. And then it comes sort of around again, as you say, within the Winter Soldier, with Bucky coming back and Steve on a quest to save him. There's a lot of queer subtext encapsulated. It's not subtle. It's text.
0: It's not subtext. It's... it's like Dean and Castiel. It's not. There's no subtext happening.
1: here. I mean, it leads on right into further Civil War, which is all yeah. about um, his continuing quest to protect his quote-unquote friend and everything um (laughs) so it almost like bucky really is steve's damsel realistically even though bucky doesn't need it isn't really a traditional damsel in distress um so so here's two really interesting things about this culture uh before hmm. we get
0: gardens of the galaxy this this is the culture between going from thor all the way to gardens of galaxy in 2014 not part of the x-men i think the x-men first class universe should be its own discussion in a a separate thing because there's so much happening there and i really want to talk about someday um there's two things that happen one is that chris evans as steve rogers is the most unexpected subtle soft artistic almost voluptuous version of a man there's something about a Chellian. Mm. about him. When people describe Steve Rogers in those first movies especially, they don't do tanked out, they don't do roided out, they don't give him a Hulk physique. There's something very soft and artistic. There's a focus on Chris Evans not just on his ass, but on his mind and his courage. And this is way different from the comics. Steve Rogers in the comics is this rigid boy scout. He's, you know, Jensen Ackles is soldier boy without the pot, essentially. Um, And that had always been a critique of how can you put this on screen? This is a one dimensional character meant to represent, you know, American imperialism, Mm. which whether or not is correct, is the thing going on at the time. What Chris Evans does as Steve Rogers is completely doesn't just subverts the male gaze, but leans into it. That Mm. being said, I don't know how comfortable he was because he read in those early interviews as a little more shy about Steve. He did this about Johnny Storm, who was just very cavalier and wasn't, even though he ran around in less clothing, he was somehow more, he was somehow less sexualized to me. Johnny Storm was way less sexualized than Steve Rogers was, in my mind, Mm. in a lot of ways. Uh so that's the first thing is that this is a completely new version of Steve Rogers. That will lead into US Agent, that will lead into a new version of Sam. That will change even how we look at Bucky, because (laughs) Bucky in the comics was pretty straight in a relationship with Natasha. If people thought of him as all, they thought of him the same way they thought of the grown-up Nightwing, where it's more of a spy epic, much closer to S.H.I.E.L.D., much more about, like, the spy versus spy aesthetic and, like, the Russian part of the Marvel Universe. The other thing that starts to happen here, too, is we start to see kind of the home version of the Avengers especially get to the first Avengers movies we start seeing the everybody lives in Avengers Tower on their own floor and they hang mm-hmm. out all the time and they have pop charts. we haven't seen the uh, cuddlyfication of Loki yet um, so Loki is sometimes there but often not mm-hmm. so here in 2012 this is when fandom really starts to come alive this is what happened yes. in 2009 with Glee as well So we have Super Hulak, we have Glee, we have the Hunger Games, and we have the Avengers. This is like the perfect storm of all this fan art and fan fiction being created at one time. The Avengers goes into a space where unless you're doing queer art, it's not sexual. Most of the Avengers stuff that I saw had to do with the idea of these super-powered people living together in like this almost friends-esque brownstone <laughs> so unless you were shipping steve and tony or shipping steve and bucky um or even in my case sometimes seeking out like steve and thor ships because they're so out of time which is a pretty rare ship but it's one i think works well um mm. there's this idea of in the marvel universe superheroes are so normalized that you can create a sitcom like atmosphere for them, mm-hmm. and there's a fan base for it. And it's something we yeah. don't really ever get but, in a Marvel movie, which is really ex- yeah, until but, about probably WandaVision, I would say we don't get that sitcom life. Um, mm. yeah,
1: didn't Vanessa Hudgens Hudgenson do a comedy sitcom, um, about an insurance agent in the superhero world? There was, um, but was that it, was like. Powers?
0: Yeah, that exactly. was like a that was like a one season one off kind of Agents of Shield esque thing. I think Chris Chris Dad was in it. One of the one of the minor Chris's was in it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that did exist, but none of the major Avenger characters were ever involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah, we get to um, the the actual Avengers movie, which. To this day, it's such a, to my mind, one of those great little movies that perfectly encapsulates to my mind what a comic would actually look like if it was done as a movie. Um, You know, for all of its uh, positives and its flaws, it it did feel very much like the perfect accumulation of what I've been building up to this point. Um, And it was continuing that theme of interconnectedness and actually starting to really push that going forward um because that led um on to was it phase two or phase three i get lost i think it was
0: still i think this Um, was phase two at that point they weren't running through phases like they were running out of toilet paper or something
1: like that um (laughs) so yeah so avengers led straight on to um age of ultron and also all of the other ones and um, we start to see a big, and i think because we were seeing a lot of different characters having interactions and guest stars starting to pop up here and there from yeah. different marvel movies that really helped took off both the shipping and establishing these actors in their roles particularly You know as leading lights Uh, i mean if you think about it certain actors were being seen what at least once twice a year in major movies um and we hadn't really seen that before
0: here's an interesting thought too because we're gonna Mm. get
1: to the place where we're gonna
0: start looking at gardens of the galaxy and ant-man and smaller properties Mm. coming up that are really obscure parts of marvel canon but Hawkeye, except for like work that Randy Meeks is doing, and now some mm. stuff that Pineapple Breads has done, and some stuff Rose has done. Which, if we ever do X Men first class, I'd love to talk about Rose and their kind of pop culture, Lichtenstein, mm. like 80s take on the X Men, which I absolutely love. Um, mm. we don't ever really see Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye get the kind of popular popularity and the sexualization mm-hmm. that Loki gets as as a no. villain, uh, Paul Bettany as Vision. Vision doesn't become as popular. He kind of remains a side character. Um, and like, it just seems like people made a choice actively to say, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, and Chris Evans are the sexy. And then Chris Pratt, unfortunately, which I have lots of feelings mm-hmm. about, um, which we'll get to. Yeah uh we'll, we'll see if we get them we may actually need to do a second episode of this at some point because uh because we haven't even t-
1: yeah. we haven't even touched on tom Holl- Tom holland yet who pretty much became a major part of the whole like there was fan shipping before but as soon as you added in spidey twink to the mix it just yeah. fan shipping went feral i think we might Which... have to do a part two yeah
0: which is fine, uh, because I think yeah. the MCU is something really interesting. Like I said earlier, they were trying to mimic the MGM 1940s star system, mm-hmm. where they had yeah. control over it. Um, and of course Disney, as a conglomerate, owns both Star Wars and Marvel now, so they have all of that control over all these properties. Mm-hmm. But there's something interesting about bringing in all this beefcake, bringing in these really complex female characters. But Mm. people got so stuck. Until Loki was part of the TVA, even Loki was not really like in that same tier. People just, especially the Steve Tony versus the Steve Bucky, the people that basically were trying to morph how Steve transitioned into the future, which of course then uh, that final Avengers movie completely destroys his character because they can't Mm let a superhero even be bisexual. Mm. Um, But it's one of those (laughs) things where, like, also, I don't want to leave out Andrew Garfield. Not just because he came back for Spider-Verse, but because... After the the this poor movie, the same year the Avengers comes out, which is like the biggest movie of that year, the Amazing yeah. Spider-Man with Emma yes. Stone and Andrew Garfield comes out. That poor movie, it was <laughs> never going to succeed. Like, what were you thinking? Save it a year. Like, you could have you could have moved the Wolverine up to 2012 and brought the Amazing Spider-Man down, and I think we would have had completely different viewpoint uh, yes. of it. But Andrew Garfield. So so I love this theory, too, in the Spider-Man universe, just as an aside, is that every time we get a younger Spider-Man, we get a younger Aunt May. So Toby's Mm -hmm. Aunt May is, like, ancient, and then uh, we get Sally Field as Andrew Garfield's Aunt May, and she's younger. And then Tom Holland's Aunt May is, like, Marissa Tomei, and people were, like, shipping her with Tony Stark. And I'm like, we can't keep (laughs) making—eventually—eventually— eventually Peter Parker has to be appropriate age. Like, that's why I liked the animated movie that did the Peter B. Parker that was voiced by uh, Jake Johnson from New Girl, because I feel like eventually you have to have an appropriately aged Spider-Man and you need to give him a break. Um, But yeah, so we get the Avengers in 2012. I do think if they had released it either... If they had released it in 2013, yeah. even with the Wolverine and Thor the Dark World there, because people just didn't like Thor the Dark World, um, the Amazing mm. Spider Man probably would have gotten more out of the MCU. Um, and I think they might be bringing Garfield back in for more, but now people yeah. don't seem to be having as much fun as they were then, too. People were having fun at these movies back in 2012. It doesn't feel like that anymore to me.
1: No. Okay, a lot of thoughts about what everything that you just said. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, we'll have um, an episode. We'll, we'll do it. a part two. The DC, we'll push the DC yeah. out. We've got plenty of time. We'll do a part feel... two of Marvel next time. It's fine.
1: I feel Andrew Garfield does deserve a bit more attention from us, and I feel that we should, considering like it's the same period as the movies we're starting to discuss, like Guardians. Um, okay. yeah, let's revisit that in the part two to give it some proper analysis because that's what i wanted to do with this i wanted not just to look at mcu mcu clearly is the dominant factor and it's the one that a lot of people are very aware of but i did want to do as we've done to give some attention to what everyone else was doing with the marvel properties beforehand and also concurrently like with the amazing spider-man and we can touch upon the x-men briefly um, because what we see happening in the X-Men is they start to sort of like almost go in the opposite direction they make them younger and sort of like elevate some characters to be new mental roles and other ones that previously were the same age to be their mentees which yeah. is a whole weird kettle of fish um so but... something
0: I like about this era specifically, which I kind of want to be my final thought so that you can do your thoughts. Um, I love this era of the MCU specifically because it has a musical quality to it. Not in the actual music is good, although the actual music is pretty good, but there's something Mm. about how they frame the Avengers, especially how they do X-Men first class, um, Mm. that has not a soundtrack feel to it, but there's something grandiose in that very 80s Andrew Lloyd Webber fandom of the opera Les Mis sort of way. Um, And so there's something about these movies where people are glomming onto them in the same way that dudes who are afraid of loving musicals love Rock of Ages, which is a rock opera. Uh, And so there's something very musical about especially things like The Avengers and uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, that you don't yeah. see much in the MCU now because they have absolutely no time to make it happen.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I think in the next one, what we'll do, our starting point will be sort of post-event, um, the first Avengers movie. Um, we'll go from there because that's a good point. It's gonna ha- it's gonna open up, start to the, go into the wider circles like guardians avengers 2 um and as you say like start to bring in like minor properties and such and what we that will be interesting to see sort of how the leading men in those movies um are handled um yeah certainly like i am instantly come to mind um with um oh i forget his name uh The chap that played Scott Lang in Ant-Man, his name is Paul Rudd. That's it. Paul Rudd, yeah. Um, yeah. So like Paul Rudd's quite, dare I say, gratuitous shirtless scene in there, which did do the rounds quite a bit. And if you've
0: seen him in like Wet Hot American Summer, you know how gratuitous he likes to be. Uh, (laughs) So here's something Um, to think about going into too: is that technically we're in Phase Two, Captain America: Silver War is the start of Phase Three in 2015, so we're still in the smack dab in the middle of phase two right now. Um, And so if you think of it as acts or as phases, um, this is still not quite them fighting their feet, but I would argue we're at the height of Marvel power in phase two, because this is where people are still hanging on every word. We're going to start to get Black Panther, where we actually start to see diversification in our heroes, thankfully um and it's it's an exciting it, it still felt like an exciting time to be a fan of superhero yes. movies and of beefcake mm. men in scantily clad vinyl leather and lycra
1: <laughs> that is a good point where you said about diversification and that was a point that i wanted to eventually discuss within this the fact that we we're moving from what was a period where the leading men were dare i say Very sort of like classical takes on what superhero like superheroes looked like. I mean, they were white. They they were
0: all white dudes, (laughs) really. Yeah.
1: We're gonna start what we're moving into, which is good, which is great. Is we're gonna start to see some of the diversity, but then it'll be great also to see what sort of tropes remain despite their attempts to diversify. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But. I think that might be a good point to leave this on, then.
0: I think it's a good point, but because this will be, like, at least a two-series episode, I want people to have something to stop and think about at the end of this. So Mm. I'm going to propose this question, knowing how divisive it is, and knowing that a lot of people could comment, who, up to this point, up to Avengers, who do you deem the hunkiest of the Marvel superheroes thus far and why. So up until I will say Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, cause that's where we're stopping. So no Tom Holland, no Paul Rudd, um, no Chadwick Boseman yet. So for you, who is the hunkiest? Who do you relate to? Who do you think is the most sexually appealing? Who would you want to play housewife to or house husband or, you know, Come home every day to see from work, kind of thing. So that's a question I want to leave both for the audience and for you if you if you dare to dream an answer as to who, in this kind of first two phases, would your hunky
1: <laughs> would your
0: hunky dreamboat be
1: <laughs> who's going to sweep me off my feet to rescue me from a burning building? Hmm. okay. I'll um I shall have a think about that because I don't want to put anything across that will influence our listeners
0: uh i will influence listeners uh i'm even though i struggle with kind of you know the lack of diversity i do think chris evans and steve rogers for me not just in artwork but in portrayal is Mm. so incredibly different but still honors the comics as much as i love robert downey jr he always felt a little bit on the nose as tony stark I always had a little bit of problem with Tony Stark. Um, I'm also a big Venom fan, so eventually we are going to get to talk about Tom Hardy as Venom, which mm-hmm. sets everything on fire for me. Um, I do think that as much as people love Chris Evans as Johnny Storm and want to see him in that role again, um, and weirdly kind of ship Chris Evans with himself as Johnny Storm <laughs> and Captain America... Mm-hmm. I do think barring Mark Ruffalo's performance as the Hulk, which I think is very nuanced. And I think something like world war Hulk would be really interesting with him as Bruce. I cannot stop thinking about Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. Mm. Like everything that Chris Evans has done is been really interesting playing it cool snow piercer, the knives out movie he did as ransom. But for me, I cannot get Steve Rogers in that soft artistic and yet with the possibility of being this kind of protectively violent loving person. Like I just, I can't get that Steve out of my head cause it's so different from the Boy Scout that it could have been in other hands. And it's such a great counterpoint to like US agent and to the guy that played Punisher that wasn't Thomas Jane. And it's such a counterpoint to what I read now in the MCU as sort of the subjectification of violence as a means to an end because he feels so different tonally. Oh, let's make a note. I also want to talk about Phil Coulson because I think Phil Coulson is a very important... Phil and and Maria, I think, are really important side characters as well as as Nick Fury. I'm making a note of that. Um, But I think Phil Coulson especially we should talk about um but we'll talk about that next time uh we got a minute left if you'd like to if you'd like to have the final word
1: um the only thing i shall say is uh i hope that you have enjoyed this little stroll down memory lane of hot man of yonder and we're going to enjoy looking at more in the next episode
0: indeed we're gonna have a great time thank you magnus uh Enjoy the first part of your birthday month because we have a whole month to celebrate you and I'm very excited to celebrate you.
1: Indeed. Take care, everyone. Bye.
0: Bye, everyone.